Amen. Well, before we dive in, I kind of want to introduce the book of Hosea. Um, doing, I, I will say, um, preaching on an entire book of Scripture for one Sunday is a little hard, so I'm going to just give a quick overview of the book of Hosea. And if you've read it in the reading plan, you probably already know what's going on. So there's a prophet in Hosea, uh, named Hosea. He is in Hosea. His name is Hosea. Um, and he wrote the book. It's actually a poetic book. If you look at the Hebrew, you can see where it rhymes and all the syllables are actually the same at the end. Fun, nerdy fact. I'm sorry. Um, but Hosea is a beautiful book that captures the heart of God in a very intense way. So Hosea was a prophet of the Lord. He lived uh, during the divisiveness of the kingdoms of Judah and Israel when the nation of Israel split into two kingdoms. And during this time, Hosea, in his lifetime, witnessed six different rulers come to power in the course of 20 years. Now, I want you to imagine that. That's a lot of political unrest, right? It's a mess. And a lot of these rulers are actually um, leading the people away from God and into Baal worship. And other idols included. Asherah, Baal, a lot of these false gods. And all the people are giving into this system because they want to please the political authorities. That's a very human response. We understand that. We see that in our nation today. But God reaches out to Hosea. He says, hey, Hosea, guess what? My people have abandoned me. They left this relationship that we were in, and it breaks my heart. And guess what? Because it breaks my heart, because you're my prophet, I want to invite you into the experience of what I'm experiencing right now. So, uh, Hosea, guess what, buddy? You're going to go marry a prostitute. <laughs> I, I can't imagine being Hosea and, and having God tell him that. I'm like, okay. Um, like, I don't know what to do there. Um, other than obey, yes, Lord. But, but God says, I want you to go and marry a prostitute because my land, my people, have been prostituting themselves to all these false gods. And they've been chasing after their own hearts. And I want you to understand how I feel. I'm not asking you to do this so that you suffer. I'm asking you to do this so that you can kind of understand the pain that I'm going through. And Hosea marries Gomer. She's a prostitute. They have a kid named Jezreel. And God is pretty much talking about how he's going to get revenge on the king Jehu. Um, and, the valley of, and the valley of Jezreel is a whole thing. But the, the two more significant names in Hosea are his, well, we don't know if they're actually his because the phraseology is actually different. You see, uh, the first kid, Jezreel, it literally says, Gomer bore to Hosea a son. But then the next two kids, we're not quite sure if they're Hosea's. Keep in mind, his wife is a prostitute. And so uh, imagine your, your, your spouse, right? Um, husbands, imagine your wives uh, giving birth to a kid who doesn't look like you. And at this point, we kind of get to understand uh, the story arc of Jose and Gomer's relationship. Uh, one of the kids he names Laru Chama, which literally means no mercy or she will not receive mercy. So it's a daughter. But, but the she in that, it's implied that it's Gomer. And so we're seeing the hurt of Hosea, but, but he's told to name this daughter Laru Chama because that's also how God is feeling towards Israel. He's like, he's like hey, like, I, I love Israel but I can't forget what they're doing right now. It just hurts too much. It stings. And then the second daughter is named Lo-Ami, which means not my people. And same thing. The kid doesn't look like Hosea, and God is saying, name 
the daughter that because that is how I'm feeling. Because if Israel were my people, they would be following me. They would be loving me. And they're not acting like my people right now. And eventually Gomer, she goes off with one of her uh, lovers and, and she is staying with him. And then Hosea is confronted by the Lord. He says, hey, I want you to go redeem your wife. I want you to go buy her back. And so Hosea says, yes, Lord. And he buys back his wife with 15 pieces of silver and she stays with him. Now, what is the whole point of the book of Hosea? What is kind of the overarching theme of the book of Hosea? You see, we see this. We see a lot of chaos. We see a lot of hurt. But the thing is, Hosea's marriage is actually a beautiful, perfect picture of God's relationship with his people. It's a painful picture, but it's perfect in how it represents God's relationship with sinful humanity. But the beauty of it, and we're going to get to this, our sin is never too big for God's unfailing love. That, if you get nothing from the book of Hosea, get that. You're good. Go home. See you. See you next Sunday. Like, we're good. That is the main theme of the book. But, 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 God, but God uses such intense language. He actually uses uh, the language, uh, the, the translation I will be preaching from this morning is actually um, ESV, which uh, instead of using the word prostitution, it uses whoredom, which is very intense. But this is how God is feeling. And he's responding to the sin of the Israelites. And so what's, what's the whole point of God even addressing sin? Why, why can't God just come in and fix it? Well, Observation one, and we'll put that on the screen for you as well. Um, God created us for intimate fellowship with Him. God created us for intimate fellowship with Him. So this is kind of the this is kind of the wind up and the pitch before we actually dive into Hosea a little bit more. I want to give you some background on why this hurts God so much. God created us for intimate fellowship with Him. You and I were created for relationship with God, and sin takes that away. Sin takes that relationship away. It, it rips us apart from God. And we see that his desire throughout all the Old Testament and all the New Testament is very clear. He wants to be close to his people. He wants to be close to us, and he wants us to be close to him. He desires to be close to us. He wants us to have that same desire for himself. Leviticus 26.12, this is the law that the Israelites actually established when they first became a nation. So this isn't news to them, and this is what Hosea knows and grew up knowing, and this is what the Israelites should have grown up knowing. And he says, this is the Lord speaking to them. He says, I will walk among you and will be your God, and you will be my people. Jesus repeats this very same idea in John 14, 23. This is after Hosea, but, but I want you to understand that the heart of God has been the same forever. Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. You see, when God sees us walk into anything other than his perfect desire for us, it hurts him. And he's constantly inviting us into deep, intimate relationship with him, but we don't seem to want it. We say we want it. We, we, we say, God, I, I want to know your heart. God, I want to be close to you. But really, as we see in Hosea, as we see with Gomer, because we're all Gomer, none of us are Hosea, none of us are the good guy in this, we say we want deep relationship, but really, observation two, we are unfaithful to our first love. We're unfaithful to our first love, and we chase after idols. Like I said, we're all Gomer. We give ourselves to the desires of our hearts rather than over to the desire of God's heart. 
And when it comes to sin, we're always either chasing false gods, and I don't know what that looks like in your life, but we're always chasing them when it comes to sin. Or we're actually setting ourselves up as false gods. So we're either chasing other things that already, we, in our minds, we've made into God. We've replaced God with this thing, with this idea, with this person, whatever it may be. Or we want to pretend like we're the center of our own universe. And we pretend that we're God. Sin is always idolatry and unfaithfulness. Especially to the one who loves us more than we could ever imagine. God calls our sin what it is in Hosea 1-2, and I think that's why I love the intensity of the ESV's phraseology of the word whoredom. When the Lord spoke through Hosea, when he first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go, take for yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Uh, The CSB and other translations will use words like promiscuity. And uh, I want you to understand, um, he's not just explicitly talking about prostitution here. What he's actually saying, the Hebrew word for whoredom, for promiscuity, that's being used in Hosea 1-2, is, is in the context of adultery. You are breaking the marriage covenant. You are being unfaithful to your spouse. This is the word that God is using. So I want you to understand just how intense this is and how painful this is for God. Because they've abandoned their relationship, they've abandoned their love for their God. And it feels like he's just getting stabbed through the heart. And, and we all do this. Paul tells us in Romans 3.23, all of us have sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. We're all unfaithful idol worshipers. Isn't that great? Isn't that really encouraging? I'm sure when you came to church you really wanted to hear that, right? We're all unfaithful idol worshipers. We've all pretended that we're God and that the universe revolves around us. But we need to remember what God says in the beginning of the Ten Commandments. And so Exodus 20, verses 2 through 4, I'm going to read these out, and I'm going to kind of expand on what God is actually saying to the Israelites. Because sometimes, when we read the Old Testament, it's really easy to read and be like, man, like this was way back then. But we don't really chew on it. And so this is what God is saying in the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I want to dissect this. This is the same God, if we were to apply this to today, this is the same God who gave himself to save all of us in the room, right? Those of us in the room, sorry, context. Uh, But gave himself to save all of us. And what he's saying to Israel is like, I want you to remember what I've done for you. I want you to remember who I am, but I also want you to remember how I've been active and present in your life. I'm the Lord your God. Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. This means nothing and nobody should ever go in his place. Nothing and nobody should go in his place, including yourself. I think that's the hardest one of all because a lot of times we make ourselves up to be God in our lives without ever realizing it sometimes. But we need to know that there's no other God before God. We should not be doing that. We should not be putting anything in this place. And then verse 4. You will not make for yourself carved image or any likeness that is in heaven above or that is in the earth below that is in the water under the earth. In other words, what God is saying is that nothing tangible and temporary, because all tangible things are temporary, whether it's ideologies, whether it's technology, whether it's money, whether it's food, whatever it may be, material possessions, 
people, relationships, loyalties to organizations or politics or whatever it may be, nothing should ever receive your worship other than God. That is what he is saying here. And so we kind of talked about the mess of sin. We kind of talked about, you know, the bad news. We're all idol worshipers, but there's good news ahead. And that's observation three. Despite our unfaithfulness, God remains faithful, and he has redeemed us. Despite our unfaithfulness, God remains faithful, and he has redeemed us. You see, Paul says it best in his second letter to Timothy. He says this, while we are unfaithful, right, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. What Paul is saying is it is in the perfect character of God to be faithful to his people, no matter what we have done. When he fulfilled that covenant with Abraham, and Abraham fell asleep, Abraham didn't even fulfill his part of the contract. God walked through it alone. He said, even if you fail, I'm not going to. I'm not going to give up on you. That's what Paul is saying here. God is always faithful to sinful humanity. And that's why he took on the cross. And he even mentions this to Hosea. He mentions what he's going to do to Hosea years before Jesus comes. I want you to take a look at this. Hosea 1.7. He's talking about how, he's, how he is going to let Israel be disciplined, right? Uh, conquering nations, but this is what he's saying about the house of Judah. This is what he's also foreshadowing with prophecy, because Hosea is a prophet. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah. Keep in mind, Jesus came from the line of Judah. I will have mercy on the house of Judah. I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. In other words, God is saying, I'm, I'm going to save them myself, and I'm going to save them with myself. I'm not going to save them like a war hero like they're expecting. I'm not going to overthrow the Assyrians, the Babylonians. I'm not going to overthrow the Romans when they come. I'm going to save them by myself. And how did he do it? He took on the cross for us. And this is why. This is the end goal that God is saying in Hosea. This is why he does what he does. This is his goal for his relationship with humanity. Hosea 2. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord, and in that day I will answer. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. And the earth will answer the grain, and the grain the oil, and they will answer Jezreel, and I will sow her for myself in the land. What God is saying is he is going to restore all that has been made dead. He's going to bring life where there has been none. And I love this last part. And I will have mercy on no mercy. Remember Hosea's kids? I will have mercy on no mercy. I will, have, I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that awesome? I love that. Like, I, uh, yeah, oh, man. Um, I got really emotional reading that yesterday. I was like, oh, that's so beautiful. Um, because it is. And I love how our God is constantly saying, hey, this is the goal. This is why I do what I do. I don't do this so that you feel distant from me. I don't, I, don't, I don't let you to go through the mess so that you stay in the mess. But I do all of this so that eventually you can look up and you can know the one who saved you. And so what do we do with this, y'all? 
the first application point, the first thing we need to do with looking at Hosea, looking at what God says all throughout the Bible, and what we can learn from the book of Hosea, is the first thing we need to do is you need to acknowledge, this is going to sting a little bit, you need to acknowledge that you're an adulterer. I'm an adulterer. We're all adulterers. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. But, but the thing is, change cannot happen. If you want change in your life, if you want to grow closer to God, if you want to put away idols, if you want to do any of that, you can't do that unless you first recognize there's a problem. The thing is, we're all a mess. We're all a mess. Isaiah 53 says this, all of us, like sheep, we've gone astray. Every one of us has turned their own way. And God has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. We've all gone our own way. All of us. No one's, no one's excused. We've all done this, but that is why Jesus came to redeem us. Second thing, we've identified that we have a problem. Now we need to tear down our idols. You need to tear down your idols. And so if you're not quite sure what, what an idol may look like in your life, it's, not, it's probably, hopefully, not a statue. It might be. I don't know. Um, but it's most likely not a statue that you're bowing down to. It could be the thing in your hand. It could be that relationship that you're holding on to. It could be that addiction that you don't want to let go of. It could be the, 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 the worry, the, the constant need to, to be in control. So I'm going to worry about literally everything that happens to me. And that's draining you. And so if you're having trouble identifying your idols, I just want to ask these questions real quick. What stands between you and God? What is it that is distracting you from deep relationship with your creator? What false gods have you set up or allowed the enemy to set up to keep you religious but not in relationship? What's keeping you religious but not in a relationship? Because there's a big difference. Religion is always us thinking we can work our way up to God with good deeds, being a good person, going to church every Sunday, all that stuff. That's not what it's about. And Hosea 6.6 says this. It's our memory verse. He says, I, I, I want your heart. I want steadfast love. I don't, I don't care about your sacrifices. I don't care about your church attendance. I want you. Go to church to thrive and grow with one another. Yes, but being a good Christian and checking stuff off the list is not what it's about. It's not what I'm about. So what's keeping you religious but not in relationship with God? Or what is just keeping you trapped in sin and shame? What is that thing that's keeping you trapped, uh, that, that keeps you feeling like you're stuck and you can't get out of whatever it is? Because that's an idol too. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your body parts, one of your members, right, uh, than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now, Jesus is not saying cut off your hand, tear out your eye. That's gruesome, morbid. He wouldn't do that. Uh, but what he is saying, because he knows human behavior, because he came as a human. He walked among us. He understood us. He still understands us today because really our nature has not changed. Culture has changed over the years, but we have not. What he is saying is that there's that thing that you feel like you can't live without, that, that, that you've become so attached to, that it's going to feel like losing a body part. It's going to feel 
like, like, like tearing off your arm or, you know, ripping out your eye. It's a painful process. Change and sanctification is a process, but he calls us to it. He wouldn't call it this if it wasn't painful. He's not saying repentance is easy. He's not saying life change is easy. This is why he uses this picture here. He says, it's going to hurt, but it's going to be worth it. And I, I know, but maybe you need to end a relationship or maybe you need to move from a smartphone to a flip phone. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, tearing down your idols matters so much to God because that means that you are taking the steps to grow closer to him. And you don't want to be distracted. You don't want anything keeping you from that intimacy with the Lord. The third thing, we need to accept God's redeeming love. We need to accept God's redeeming love. So we talked about accepting our sin, right, and doing something about it, but now we need to talk about God's love. Isaiah 44 says this, I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. That sounds familiar. We just talked about Hosea redeeming his wife. And just as Hosea bought back his wife from a life of prostitution and of slavery, here's how God has redeemed us and bought us back. You can actually say it with me on the screen if you would like. Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That is how God redeemed us. Through Jesus Christ. He's given literally everything for us. And that is such a beautiful thing. Because when we were far off, when we were the prodigal sons and daughters, he came running back to us and embraced us. And so what is our response to this? We're to live an intimate covenant with our first love. Live an intimate covenant with our first love. This is what God has wanted from the start. And I quoted it earlier, but Hosea 6.6 says, I I desire steadfast love. Steadfast love, that means it keeps going. I don't want sacrifices. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Now, the word knowledge there actually means intimate, deep, personal knowledge. It's not just head knowledge. It's when you truly know somebody. That's the kind of knowledge it's talking about. It's all about the relationship. It's not about the religion. James says it this way. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. In other words, don't just go to church. Don't just play church. Don't just do all the right things so that you can do all the right things. Be the church. Be the church. Do what it says. Let it shape your life. Let the word shape your life. Let, let, let these gatherings with fellow believers shape who you are. Don't just do it to market it out of a checklist. And how are we the church? I'm going to close with this. But Micah 6.8. 6, 6, this is another Bible drill verse for you Bible drill kids at home. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with the Lord your God? Walk with God. Tear down the idols, leave them behind, and walk with God. I invite you to be the church and accept this awesome life that Jesus freely gives us. That's the whole point of Hosea. That is the whole point of the gospel. I'm going to pray this out real quick. Dear God, thank you so much for this day. God, thank you for um, tough books like Hosea where there's a lot of imagery being used and we kind of look at that and we're like, that's really intense. But God, you're showing us a picture 
of just how much you care about us and how deeply you feel for us. And God, thank you for that. Thank you that you show us constantly how much you love us through your word, through years and years before your son even came. God, thank you that, that, that even in our mess, you have redeemed us, you have bought us back, you have pursued us. And God, I pray that as we leave here today, we would have the strength, we would have the courage, we would have the, the, the desire for you so much that we're willing to tear down our idols. Or maybe it's just, it's just as simple as realizing, hey, like, I, I do have a problem. I am a sinful person, but guess what? I have a God who loves me so much, and I want to chase after him. So, God, I pray that you just bless all my brothers and sisters who are here today, who are um, here in person and on the live stream. God, I pray that you just be with us as we go out. God, I pray that you would help us to remember to fix our eyes on you. And, God, when the world is throwing things our way or when we're tempted to act out of sinful nature, God, I just ask that you would help us to look at you and to remember to come to our first love. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for everything that you've done for us. It's in your precious name I pray. Amen.